Industry Pods and Evergreen Podcast Network are pleased to present the following podcast. This content is for informational purposes only. You should not construe any such information or other material as legal, tax, investment, financial or other advice. Nothing contained on here constitutes a solicitation, recommendation, endorsement or offer by Draper Gorenholm or any third-party service provider to buy or sell any securities or other financial instruments whatsoever. Boom! <laughs> we are uh, we're live. Uh, what's up, guys? What's up? <laughs> All right, everyone who is who is watching, um, I'm I'm super excited today. Uh, we have uh, Rish on uh, again. You were you were on Blockchain and Booze in previous. Actually, both of you have been on Blockchain and Booze, and I'll uh, tell you how I know this. Yesterday, I went on a silly Twitter thread. Uh, thing like I go on every once in a while, I go into my Google Photos. And because we do LA Blockchain Summit, which we used to call CIS, and we've been doing it for years, I have like a dump of photos of like pretty much everyone in our industry and their professional pictures. And there's like 18 pictures of each person from each event. Um, and so every once in a while, I go into Google Photos and I'll respond to somebody with pictures of them um, making faces like I would respond just as a weird joke. And I did that with Mark yesterday just for fun. Um, and one of the pictures I saw in my Google Photos of Mark is Mark on one of the first blockchain and boozes, like week one or two, when it was quarantine and we all just hopped on like a Zoom call with like 100 people, little tile squares, and your face was in there. So uh, welcome back. Well, thanks. Those were those were some good days, I guess. I mean, <laughs> we, I we were all, it was good, but that was about it. <laughs> remember thinking that quarantine would last a couple weeks? <laughs> this is week, by the way, this is week number 68. Week number 68 wow. of blockchain and booze. Um, Amazing. So, uh, you know, but lots of uh, incredible relationships and good times have been made here. So, um, you know, actually, one of the cool things, and, and before I go into everything, shout out to uh, Lunar Crush. We're streaming on all of Lunar Crush's stuff, and uh, Lunar Crush is a portfolio company of ours, but um, also just an amazing, amazing company, um, and uh, you should go there for, for every, you know, I'll, I'll probably talk about them 18 times throughout the event, so I don't even have to say anything other than check out Lunar Crush. Um, also, if you're watching live anywhere other than uh, in at meet.blockchainandbooze.io, go to meet.blockchainbooze.io because you can participate live, you can be chatting with the rest of the community, and you can ask us questions in the QA area as we go. And halfway through this uh, thing, we might even bring one or two of you up on stage to hang out with us for a minute and... Uh, Hang with the crew. So, guys, let's 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 just start by introducing everyone to you guys because uh, obviously not not everyone knows who you are. Even though I know that you guys are are huge rock stars. Um, Rish, why don't why don't you start first? Tell us, uh, give us a little bit of background. Tell us about Superworld. Sure. So, uh, my name is Rish Lalikar. I'm the co-founder and CEO of Superworld. Superworld is a virtual world in augmented reality mapped on top of the real world. And basically we enable anyone to create, discover, and monetize anything anywhere in the real world in augmented reality. And we've also divided the surface of the earth into 64 billion NFTs, covering each covering about a city block of land. And so if you buy one of those NFTs, you get a share of any of the economics that will happen there. So advertising, e-commerce, digital commerce, data, analytics, and gaming. And then we're building applications on top. So we have a mobile app that's in open beta right now. We just launched a NFT marketplace, um, which is in closed beta, um, soon to be launched at live. And we're moving into, into uh, further tokenization and DeFi and lots of other stuff. So that's kind of the overview on what we're up to. Nice. Um, and of course, full disclosure, uh, DGH is an investor in Superworld. So um, 
you know, I, I always want want everyone to, to to know uh, that. But but I was a super fan of Super World before we ever made an investment, and I would say that uh, even participating, I didn't even didn't know or think we, we would get to get to invest at the time I became a super fan. So those who follow me on Twitter constantly see me uh, post and for many months now post pictures of the random hiking trails near where I live. And I always, you know, post some silly joke about visiting my super world land because you know, there's no better place for e-commerce to occur than a random hiking trail, right? So I clearly made the right investment decision by buying those NFTs. Um, but uh, Mark, um, let's let's get you up here. Here, scoot your camera a little bit. Let's get you up so we can see your beautiful face. There we go. Now, yeah. um, I've known Mark for many years. Uh, we we were both a part of the crowdfunding industry. Mark is a securities attorney, and um, you know he waited until just you know a few months after we hired him to start doing work for us because he's one of my favorite securities attorneys in the world um, to then leave his firm and go work for DYDX exclusively. So uh, thanks a lot, dude. Um, <laughs> but uh, but that way, yeah. <laughs> but more, more importantly, Mark is somebody I call for random advice and thoughts uh, just all the time, you know, over the years when I just want to go like, what the hell is up with this thing? Does this make any sense at all? What do you think this company is doing? Not, not related to our own personal work or anything. It's just like the dude I call to understand any of this stuff. So now we got him here. But Mark, give us, uh, give us the real background. Cool. I always love the calls, Alon. Um <laughs> I'm Mark Boron. I'm the general counsel at DYDX Trading. And DYDX Trading, for those who don't know it, um, develops essentially a decentralized exchange for advanced financial products. Um, right now, our main product is a perpetuals product that, um, unfortunately, for regulatory reasons, is only available outside of the U.S. Um, but it is a, a, a fantastic uh, product that is gaining a lot of traction. Um, as Alon said, before joining DYDX, I was in private practice at, at law firms. Um, I'm a securities attorney by background. For the last like two years or so, pretty much all the work that I've done has been in DeFi. Like, yeah, I mean, <laughs> it was uh, starting in, in mid-2019 on, it was like DeFi only, um, which has been fun because it started with like a little DeFi work and a lot of crypto work and then ended up with like, just DeFi work, um, which was a lot of fun because there's a lot of issues there. So that's uh, it's a little bit about me. Yeah, it's been a little while thinking about it. It's, it, you know, in our, I think this last year and a half, two years has gone by so fast in many respects, but I can remember having some very specific, like very specific DeFi discussions with you asking about, does this make sense? Is this legal United States based versus world, this and that? And I remember doing laps around my old office, which means it was like two years ago, minimum. And so, you know, time flies. It's absolutely nuts. Um, uh, you know, I, I would I would love to actually start by kind of, Mark, you've, you've not only like, you know, a lot, we've all been here, right? At least a lot of us, especially the Blockchain Boost community, there's some new people, there's some older people, but like you, you were not just watching it like some of us were doing or even participating like some of us were doing. You were like behind the scenes uh, uh, seeing what, what's going on. How do you feel things have changed and grown uh, in, in DeFi in, the, in just even these two years, right? Like the, the real, the buzzword really started probably two and a half years or so ago, right? Like uh, yeah. how's it changed in your mind? Yeah, I mean, I was... I mean, you could go back. People define DeFi so differently. It's hard yeah. to know where to go back. I always think of like Maker as probably like a pretty good starting point um, because it's so like core to the DeFi infrastructure. Um, I think a lot of other people will look at like compound liquidity mining as like being the real start of, of DeFi. And I think that's really right where so much has changed because the volumes that you saw like pre- compound liquidity mining compared to the volumes that you saw post is like a drastic difference. Yeah. Um, so, you know, I'd say that's like one key change. And, you know, the, the obvious thing being, you know, a lot, it brought a lot of interest into DeFi that, you know, may not have been there in the same way. So I think that 
um, you know, it start probably from, from, I think capital coming in and then developers coming in. And then I think projects that might not have been kind of tied into DeFi looking how they can tie into DeFi. Um, and then you get like a much bigger focus on governance in the DeFi space than you had before. Yeah. Um, and then I'd say like that governance point is probably um, what is, I think, continuing and developing in the most significant way around now, right? And most people think about it in the context of like DAOs. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I think that's that's kind of where we're at right now and, and how it's going to continue to develop, I think, is like hard to determine. I mean, I think DAOs are either going to be like these these wildly successful new types of organizations um, or I think and frankly, it could it's like maybe close to 50 50. Um, there's going to be some massive litigation involving DAOs where a bunch of people who are governance token holders are going to get sued and everyone's going to get scared. One of those two things. I, I have, I have, I feel like there's going to be somewhere, uh, somewhere in between because I think that like, yeah, there's, there might be some, some crazy litigation wildness, but in, in my mind, I think the community almost looks as that at that as, um, you know, the SEC rug pulling a project, not, not, I don't know if, if it's, if at least if communications are done right and marketing is done right in terms of outside feelings and stuff, unless these people did egregious and, and bad things and, and hurt people or, or scam people, which then, you know, throw them all in jail, I don't care. But like in general, I think it'll just make the community mad at, at the SEC or the government. Um, and it might scare people from starting companies but I think that most people or, or starting DAOs, creating organizations, whatever, I think most of these people, uh, at least in some of the larger groups, are, are already kind of willing to go to other countries, not participate here and, and do some things like that. And um, it'll just it'll be I think it'll be really interesting. I think the biggest threat to, to DAOs in general, actually, are that autonomous and flat organizations um, so far are mostly run really, really poorly. <laughs> and I think that that companies, or I, should, I keep using the word companies or startups, but DAOs, right, these organizations, a lot of them will probably implode having, being fully decentralized because there isn't that leader to go like, get that shit done, do that, do that, like, and, and employ people. And I think that certain groups will do way better. But so far, all the groups that have been successful have like a leader you can point at which maybe maybe actually is a reason why it'll fall apart when the government comes because they'll point at that leader and say you're breaking the rules. No, I actually think like well, on the latter point, I actually think the thing that's missing from so many DAOs is incentivization, right? Like mm -hmm. the DAOs are using treasuries for like big things, like let's give big grants, you know, let's whatever it might be. What they're not using them for is little things like um, – we will actually incentivize you to part to vote, to post yeah. on forums, all these things that actually get people involved in like the smaller things, the things that are really key to actually making these DAOs successful is not something that's being incentivized right now. So like, I think that's something that like needs to be worked on because otherwise I think you're totally right. Yeah. I think, I think that there's going to be, and from what I'm seeing behind the scenes and what I know about certain companies and groups, uh, I think the whole sort of business model and ownership model is going to change over time. And we're just seeing the, the high level stuff. I think it's, it's probably a good segue and, and, you know, jump into, into reach because I think that connecting this sort of metaverse digital only world with the real world is a part of that. Right. I think that we, we, you know, communities physically want to gather even, you know, the best uh, metaverse, uh, you know, hangout sessions, the best versions of this, of hanging out and getting with the community. And, you know, the second hour of this, uh, we, we break off into tables and hang out with the community. It's super fun. It still doesn't totally replace meeting in person. Like we still are going to have and want to have LA Blockchain Summit at the end of the year in person at the LA Convention Center, right? Um, that, that it still doesn't replace that. So, Rish, how do you how do you see sort of because where I wanted to go with this conversation, I threw it into the graphic was was sort of how this how communities are evolving because of this, because I, I think that it's 
you know, there's, there's, well, let's start with the metaverse and versus the real world and being in there. But I think that what Mark is saying is planting the seed for like ownership within the community, right? Like imagine if the people who actually are customers of Wells Fargo actually own the piece of Wells Fargo because we've been going there for 20 years, right? Maybe you yeah. would it differently. Maybe you feel differently about it. Maybe they wouldn't screw you with 0.00% interest, right? Um, I don't know. Uh, but but Rish, how do you feel that physical world, real world uh, connects? And I know you're trying to, within your world, do some interesting things. Yeah, thank you. Uh, you know, I think that the interesting thing about community is it comes to the ability to leverage Web3 and blockchain and, and DeFi and the other elements of um, you know, the overall ecosystem here is, you know, just as you said, we're able to not only provide, you know, in our case with Superworld, very immersive types of experiences where community can occur in a persistent basis, in a, in a synchronous basis, in a physical, virtual kind of basis at the same time. So you can have interactions that are virtual and physical, but when you add, you know, the elements of, of the blockchain and you provide ownership and make, you know, community members key stakeholders, um, such as we do in Superworld, where you can buy ownership and, and you know, buy a plot of land and, and, and get that key stakeholder relationship there on the platform, I think you, you know, uh, really create uh, a community that believes in the uh, the the ability uh, to uh, create and be empowered to be able to affect change, whether that comes to governance, to be able to earn income uh, through DeFi or other mechanisms, um, to be able to share content and and be able to kind of have some kind of uh, you know potential uh, you know stake in that sharing. I think you look at kind of data monetization and monetization sharing uh, with users based on that data. Um, so you really kind of build uh, a very galvanized uh, group of people that are benefiting from their usage, as well as contributing to the growth of a project in ways that, you know, Web2 we're not able to really accomplish. So that's that's what's really exciting about this. And it's it's what's really cool about it, I think, is there's this kind of momentum that builds um, in, in, in virtual worlds and metaverses and other projects where once you get that kind of flywheel moving and you get people coming on board, they naturally tell others and bring them on board for the same exact reasons um, that I outlined earlier. So that's 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 really exciting. Yeah, uh, you know, actually in the chat, sorry, I'm uh, 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 multitasking, looking at the chat, and I just edited the uh, scrolly bottom thingy to uh, because Matt, uh, something, actually, let, let me take a break that I should have mentioned off the bat, and I was going to hit it when I started looking at some of the, uh, the news articles that, that have been happening this week, but DGH had a big announcement today that we hired a new director of events. Uh, Matt Bozio and Matt oh. actually just came off of 10 years of working for Disney and it's a big part of our strategy to, to, to step it up with our events. He texted me, he's like, hey, can that scroll thing be changed to make sure we mention LA Blockchain Summit? And so there we go. It's, it's, it's down there. Already, day one, keeping us, keeping us uh, <laughs> professional, um, uh, awesome. which isn't easy for me. Um, so... Uh, so, but um, yeah, everyone, uh, we, we're, we're making some big moves for November. So check, check that out. And welcome, Matt, when you see him on Twitter. He's a big part of the Tezos community. Um, I, you know, he's just into crypto in general, was, was randomly tweeting here and there and, and started seeing him on different threads. And then I don't know what happened. The story was great. Uh, literally just we're DMing about something, some Tezos project. And I went like, what do you do? Let's hop on a Zoom real quick. And we hopped on like a 15 minute Zoom and, I, and it just like clicked. Like it was perfect timing with, uh, with Adam uh, going off to do his own thing and, uh, and meet, meet this dude. And it was, he was the perfect fit for us. So really excited to so say hi to him uh, 
if he's uh, if 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 he's uh, awake, he's on the East Coast. I'm sure he's awake. But if he's not hanging with family right now, we'll try to bring him up uh, later when we bring a few people up. Um, but um, everybody also something I should mention again: if you're not watching uh, uh, in our system, go to meet.blockchainboost.io so you can join the conversation, ask questions in the QA. Um, where I was about to go before I sidetracked myself was. Um, Rish can hit this first, but I'd also like to see uh, how Mark feels about this because this was Mark's um, Mark's sort of comment before was talking about incentivizing little things that people can do um, within a DAO or an organization. Um, Barry in the chat, uh, uh, if you're an LA native, uh, Barry Watkins, if it's the same Barry, uh, asked in the chat, sub Barry. Um, miss you, man. Um, uh, what other types of little things should DAOs be incentivizing? Rish, I know you're working on all sorts of uh, models and things for, for Superworld, but also, Mark, what, what are the, you know, first Rish and then Mark, what are your favorite things you've seen other people do so far? So in, in terms of what we're doing is, again, we, you know, enable uh, our super citizens to buy parts of the platform, which uh, are consisted of uh, plots of virtual real estate. And then we also enable, uh, you know, super citizens and users to create digital assets in our NFT marketplace, um, as well as create content and curate content. And we're looking at a variety of staking mechanisms on the DeFi side uh, to enable, uh, you know, uh, owners of virtual land, uh, owners of tokens, uh, curators of content to be able to uh, earn yield uh, from staking their tokens, staking NFTs, and being able to to be able to contribute to the ecosystem as well as to, you know, create demand for the token. Um, so those are kinds of some of the things in, in virtual worlds, I think, relating to, you know, content creation, curation, governance and ability to use um, uh, those mechanisms together to really empower the ecosystem. Very cool. I think I think there's a lot of um, opportunity around mm -hmm. content creation and community participation um, mm -hmm. when it comes to, to incentivizing in, in DAOs. But Mark. Being, uh, uh, you know, being being behind the scenes uh, for a lot of these these groups. Have you seen anything that you think was was one of the coolest things uh, a DAO has incentivized using governance, or uh, what do you think is most important? Yeah, I mean, I, I think it's I, I think DAOs have been pretty conservative in in how they've actually like what they've done. I think. If you look at like Yearn or Sushi Swap, you're probably gonna see like some of the most aggressive uses. Like I think some of them have paid some attorneys to do things, you know, things of that nature. I think are pretty cool. But in terms of like small things that I think should be done that aren't being done, I mean, you could start with and and the key here, by the way, as to why it's not done most of the time is like risk of like spamming, right? And like yeah. how do you prevent that when you're paying people to do small, easy things, right? But, but I think there are ways to figure it out. So mm -hmm. like things like making proposals for, for like meaningful changes in governance, mm -hmm. like you want people to like spend their time doing this stuff, like you should probably like pay them to do this stuff. Um, I think voting should actually be something that's compensated in a very, very small way, but like token holders should be compensated for, for voting. I think we've seen more like penalty type things if you don't vote for a while then you'll actually lose your tokens i think that's something like eos contemplated like back in like 2018 or something um but like we haven't seen like that much around around like DAOs in that sense um i think there's things like our communities are so like at least most of them are very like us or um like Western focused. And a lot of that's because everything's in English, right? So like there should be, you know, some, you know, payments for those who are translating stuff into uh, different languages. Just, just a lot of like the little things that cause people to actually be active. And when people are active, you have kind of better discussions, things move forward and you don't just have the same people doing the same mm -hmm. things all the time. Yeah. So, I think there needs to be, so, you know, something that needs to happen is on one hand, there needs to be almost some gatekeeping so that it's not too easy, but there needs to be made easier or, or maybe made understood more how easy it is to make a proposal in, in most DAOs, especially small ones as they're getting started. Because um, 
uh, one thing we, we've had them on and we should have them on again is, is the guys from PrimeDAO. Um, PrimeDAO are one of our portfolio companies, but they just did a ton of research into DAO to DAO relations in, in working with each other and how you can get people to work together and how organizations in sort of the real world have worked in the past and how DAOs can adopt the best practices but also do things way better. And when they started, actually, what's, what's interesting is they had a bunch of people that would come in and be like, hey, I, um, I speak English really well, and I speak and write in Russian really well. Can I write all of your docs for the Russian version? Can I write it for the Chinese version, the French version, the, the Spanish version? And they did that through the governance, and, and they put a proposal. The people who were voting got to vote. Will the DAO spend uh, some of their treasury to pay them? And, and they did that within the DAO. And... I, uh, at the, this was sort of toward the beginning of quarantine when my son was doing all of his uh, poopoo.eth NFTs and stuff like that. And um, I was trying to explain to him what was going on. I told him people write proposals and then the rest of the group votes on if they accept the proposal and then they pay the people uh, those tokens, either they were at the time they were prime tokens or just like USDC just to pay people for their work. And, um, and I explained it to him and he's like, I'm going to make a proposal. And he, he created a Google doc and he actually modeled it after his, uh, he ran for like class, uh, uh, um, not class president, but like student council. And his speech for student council was like, if you elect me student council, I will. And it was a bunch of bullet points. And so he literally copied it and it said like, if you give me a job at Prime Dow, I will. And it was like, I will make you an NFT. I will do an airdrop. I will do this. And I want like 500 Prime tokens or something, right? And he, he I, I sat behind him and I kind of coached him up, but he did it himself from his own wallet and he did a proposal to a DAO. Um, pretty mind blowing. But like, what's interesting is that it wasn't that hard. And when I would tell people on Twitter, when I tell people in the Discord channel or whatever, hey, uh, think about what you could bring to the table and make a proposal. Like there's nothing stopping you. And people would be a little weird about it. And, 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 but the thing is like, that's just sort of the next step of the gig economy. If you're a little bit proactive, you start looking at some of these DAOs, it's not that hard to make a proposal. The worst thing that happens is they go, no, I don't think it's gonna work for this reason, or you're asking for too much, or you should ask for more. Um, uh, and uh, in the Discord channels, people are talking, but like what you're talking about, Mark, even some of the basic stuff, translating it to other languages and stuff like that, that's how you get involved and how you become a part of the, the community. Um, uh, you know, John in the chat said there needs to be a cost to making proposals. Um, some of them do. But some of them sort of almost like make you stake. It depends on, on the, the group. But like it's uh, I, I don't love that if, they're, they're, if there's a cost because then it keeps the you know, average person in the community from participating. Because what's me in a meaningful amount of money to me might me, you know, not be a meaningful amount of money to somebody else or vice versa. And so if I say, oh, it's no big deal to pay 100 bucks to make a proposal, you know, for most people, it is a really big deal. So it's hard to judge, you know, what, what that is. And so I like there to be some kind of gatekeeping. There sometimes are like, there's proposals. And then um, if I remember how PrimeDAO worked, it was like you made a proposal and it would be like eight days long. But if one of the top people with reputation within the DAO decided to boost it, they could boost a proposal and make it happen faster or uh, downgrade it, you know, and there was different ways of doing things like that. And I think that's, that's a cool way of doing it. Um, I think the best gatekeeping, right, is like you only want those whose interests are aligned, right? So you do it based off of, you know, right now we do it, you know, consistently based off of token holdings, right? And so like that on its own creates one kind of barrier so that not everybody can just spam. But I think once you get beyond that, and I think the number of tokens needs to be big enough, that is your cost of entry, right, to, to be able to make a proposal. And I think putting anything on top of that, um, when it's already like as hard as it is to make proposals that are going to get passed and takes time to discuss things and you'll most likely get ripped by somebody in the community. It's kind of like, I think you need an increased cost to doing it. 
Yeah, there's there's always yeah there's always people in the community that have uh, uh, no tact and will just like rip somebody well-meaning apart, which is not cool. But it's you know that's what happens when large organizations kind of get created and everyone feels like they they're really intensely you know own, owning of it. Um, but there's also really really cool things that happen, right? Like discussing it in the Discord channel or in the in the in the uh, you know message boards for whatever DAO it is ends up creating a, a ton of value and some really interesting uh, new and, and exciting ideas that wouldn't happen in the traditional world. Um, uh, there's a few things uh, about Superworld. Um, uh, John uh, Sarson asked, "Can you show us a peek into Superworld?" Um, John, Superworld is live. You can. Uh, I, I own, like I said, some some of my local hiking trails. Um, I think I own my grandma's old house in Israel. Uh, I own all sorts of cool spots. Um, check it out. Uh, is it superworldapp.com? What was it? That's right. Superworldapp.com or just Google Superworld will come right up. But yeah, superworldapp.com is the, is the website and just click on enter Superworld and you can and start going and checking out the world and buying real estate. And, and uh, somebody is asking, are you drinking tea? <laughs> What, what was the thing you're drinking? Um, somebody added, they thought it was coffee. tea. Oh, coffee? Oh, wait. Yeah. Um, I, I kind of glazed over before we started. You're, you're in, um, uh, uh, where are you right now? You're in. Um, I, I'm, in I'm in Kiev, Ukraine right now. Yeah, you're, you're in Ukraine. What time is it? It's like 3.30, uh, 3.35 in the morning. <laughs> it's 10, I, hours, I, I, 10 like, hours ahead. As you were talking a few minutes ago, I was like, wait, it's probably like three in the morning there like and you you seem totally good uh did yeah you, thanks did you just stay up for this or did you wake up in the middle yeah, of the i just i just i just stayed up and you know kept doing work <laughs> so nice. i'm usually up pretty late anyway so it wasn't too much longer than i normally yeah. am up yeah thank you for uh for uh for being a good sport and and doing this uh so so late um you know i i'm gonna throw uh Actually, um, Rish, I, I'd like to, you know, uh, for for a second divert, you know, you're 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 working on. I saw on Twitter some cool charitable campaigns and and some some interesting things. I'd like to. Um, I've got a good a good legal question actually. Um, <laughs> um, people people are asking uh, about my drink now because we started bringing up drinks. So I'll I'll get to that in a second. But talking about. Um, you know the real world versus the, the the sort of digital world and NFTs. I think there's a lot of potential for cool campaigns for taking NFTs. Um, you know, like I own the the West Hall of the LA Convention Center on Superworld, and I plan to do something cool with it at the LA Blockchain Summit. Right? You know, what cool campaigns have have been coming um, uh, and, and or that have been done uh, that that sort of bridge that that world? And what's the coolest things you think? And, and what has someone not done yet that you hope they do? Yeah, so, you know, I think, you know, with our mobile app, which is in open beta right now, you know, we've, we've seen uh, users and what we call super citizens or those who own, own uh, virtual land like yourself, um, they've come together to do things and get together in the physical world and put art uh, in locations that they own. So we had uh, a number of artists come together uh, in Central Park because one of the owners of a plot of land in Central Park held a, an art fair. And so he brought together, you know, a group of like 20 artists or something, and they started posting NFTs uh, on his plot of land and started, you know, marketing those NFTs. They then got together, I think another group got together at the Metropolitan Museum of Art, um, I think like a month ago. Um, again, just a very grassroots effort kind of started going into the museum and posting their art in augmented reality uh, on the inside walls of the museum. And, uh, and then we did a, um, a very, uh, you know, concerted uh, partnership with um, uh, the Flint uh, Water Festival uh, last week, um, which is a, uh, a program that's designed to help, you know, confront the Flint water crisis. 
And the idea there is, you know, demonstrating how NFTs uh, as well as uh, NFT art uh, and NFT virtual real estate can all kind of come together to raise money and to bring attention to the, in this case, the Flint water crisis. But what we want to do is really demonstrate, you know, as you said, the, the virtual and the physical kind of uh, interplay there of how you can do things in a virtual world like Superworld, utilizing blockchain and NFTs, and how you could bring an effect change in the physical world, in this case with cleaning up water. And, you know, as another example of that, you know, we're planting a tree every time someone buys virtual real estate. So again, demonstrating how, you know, taking action in Superworld can impact the real world. And we have other things going as well. We're doing things um, with uh, corporations. We have a partner uh, named RIM, uh, which is based in, in Singapore, that kind of is kind of the Michelin uh, star rating for corporate ESG programs. And so we're trying to figure out how do we create ways that corporations that are already you know, very much trying to do things for the environment and the world, how do we align them to do this with blockchain and NFTs? I love that. I think it's, yeah. uh, uh, I, I just think that there's so many ways in which to bridge the real world. Actually, there was a question just about that. Um, but I think we, we probably uh, we probably hit it, but, but let's see. Um, Eric asked, uh, where do you see convergence of real world use cases and metaverse converging in the next five years? Like marketing, art galleries, conferences, et cetera. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, those are those are, um, I think, going to become very prevalent. I think we're we're trying to demonstrate those things. But I think you're going to see use cases of, you know, going to live events and coming in with an NFT that gives you access to certain privileges or vice versa, you know, doing things in the real world, either buying a cup of coffee and getting some kind of virtual credit for it or some kind of, you know, virtual accessory for, you know, buying a physical product or, you know, again, you know, buying an NFT and purchasing a real house. So vice versa, online and offline, offline to online is going to become very prevalent. We're trying to show off some of those use cases as we ramp up. That's cool. You know what? I, I actually was just thinking um, about something the other day, and it could totally tie into uh, uh, what, what you're talking about. Um, I can see through our system, I think I can, at least I got to double check, um, who's attended uh, the, the blockchain and booze events, right? And although I don't have their wallet addresses, I have their email addresses. And using some services, um, I know that uh, I know how to do this on Tezos, for example, create NFTs um, and then send it to you to your email address where you can redeem them or even your email address be the authenticator into your wallet. Um, and then you can send it to any other wallet if you don't want to use that one. But I could do that on a per week basis for, you know, as a proof of attendance or something like that for blockchain booze. Then in LA blockchain week in November, we can have a private hangout session. The only way you could get in is if you've shown up to blockchain booze. Or maybe you get an extra drink ticket at our, you know, at our opening party or something like that. Um, that's an NFT uh, blockchain and booze. Um, then there'll be a whole different level of collecting because would you want the version that says it's been redeemed or do you want the unredeemed one? Which one will be more rare? I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> um, all, all sorts of, of silly things you can, you can do with that. Um, I've got one, one question here, actually, Rish. Um, uh, when are you going to, uh, when are you going to, uh, do the, uh, when are you going to do the moon or Mars, uh, is, you know, super, super world earth. Super world Mars, lunar world moon. I don't know. Are doing the moons of other planets? Yeah, you know, I mean, Richard Branson went went to space this week, so you know, I think that uh, we should start thinking about that. You know, really for us, it's about user activity. So as long as we can get more user activity on Mars or the moon, that's when it becomes more interesting. But because Superworld is you know, technically an XR world. So it's not just augmented reality content, it's virtual reality content. So again, you know, our, our users can create content that allows people to go into virtual reality and into, you know, go to the moon or the Mar go to Mars um, in VR um, from any location as well. Could I actually, 
could <laughs> here's what I'm thinking. <laughs> could you force somebody to be physically at a location to then get into the the sort of wormhole into the VR experience, right? So like I can I own the hiking trail that has a cave in it uh, at, near my house. Could I force you to be inside of that cave to go into my immersive VR experience, which would probably be crazy dangerous and not not actually a good idea. Um, people be like, you know, hitting their heads on rocks and uh, falling, falling, and, and it would just be horrible. But could you do something like that? Yeah, you could just put like an AR portal there that goes into VR. So uh, again, you can you can Dude. place portals anywhere. <laughs> This uh, yeah, I can I can imagine some some really crazy stuff. Oh, I've got um uh, I'm gonna bring him up on stage right now. I've got Matt backstage. Um, uh, Matt Bozio, welcome to the DGH team. Cheers. Uh, congrats. You know, th thank, thank you. you so much for uh, joining joining us and uh, being a part of DGH. Um, uh, Matt, you're you're joining us from from Florida. Uh, how's it going? It's going good. Uh, looking at your bright backgrounds, man. I don't know why. I swear the lights on in my in my house. I don't know. Well, what's going it's on. Uh, I, I, uh, actually. I like. It. I like it. I yeah. Know, it I, looks, like it. I was gonna say it looks like legit, like it's um, like it was planned and well, it's like lit perfectly, like for it's it's a mood right there. We can we can. Uh, how do we do this? I think there's a way of me like. Uh, making you the main person it's that's kind of cool um boom oh no it, it makes you full screen but um there's a way of doing it like like uh, uh something like that hold on boom there we go the, it looks when you're in that view it looks like it was it was meant to be right um, it does okay. um but uh but but dude um you know, Matt's joined us, you know, to, like I said, we do our event. We're at, we're going to be doing the eighth LA blockchain summit um, in November at the beginning. It's a little, we, we say eighth annual, but at the beginning we cheated a little because it was, we did twice a year for a couple of years, but, but it's still pretty wild that we're on number eight. And, you know, it's about time we have a professional uh, help us scale it in, in a really meaningful way. So we're really excited to have Matt on board and uh, I know a lot of you in the community have seen him on, on our blockchain and booze events and have seen him on Twitter and stuff, but I wanted to throw him up on stage to say hi to everyone. Thanks. Thanks for having me. Thanks for bringing me up. Thanks for bringing me on the team. Uh, look forward to meeting everyone. Rish, I have to ask you, since we're on, what kind of hair product do you use? That hair is amazing. <laughs> You're so jealous. <laughs> Thank you. I'm jealous too. You People know, can't really tell how thinning it is. Shower and get out. Yeah, I don't even dry my hair. Yeah, that is amazing <laughs> cloth of hair. It, it, is, it, is, it is serious. Um, uh, but but Matt, uh, really, really, thank you for joining us. We're we're super excited. Let's uh, Matt stay stay on stage for for the last few minutes. Um, we'll make sure we um, we also Matt. By the way, uh, I, I said this earlier, but Matt was. I, I actually I was talking. Did I explain uh, how we, you know, Matt joined us uh, on this, or was I saying it off stage? No, you were saying it. Out. You were saying. I it said out. it on here, right? Yep. Okay. See, already keeping it pro. Um, but yeah, Matt was a part of the Tezos community, and we got connected. And what's really cool is Matt was sort of diving down the blockchain rabbit hole and already in it before we convinced him to join us. And, you know, in the past, when we'd hire a production company, hire someone who's, you know, an expert in what Matt does and, and that kind of thing, we'd have to kind of bring them to blockchain and explain this crazy world to them. And Matt was already here. Matt's a part of the Tezos community, a part of the crypto community. So it's, uh, it's, it's a lot of fun. Um, I did it willingly and with great enthusiasm. <laughs> uh in uh you know it's it's super super exciting i see a lot of you in the in the chat um uh you know somebody i, I wanted to jump there was a few really good questions not just about my um dr pepper but um uh some some augmented reality um and and some others related to um uh more to security stuff and you know it's it's funny um uh uh Actually, I want to tell everyone this quick story. So here's what happened when crypto got popular at our events. We had an event called Crowd Invest Summit. 
and Crowd Invest Summit became Crypto Invest Summit. And Joseph and I had already gone full time into crypto, so we started making the conversation at Crowd Invest Summit more crypto focused or, or going there. But this was still when we were deciding that beginning of 2017 before the craziness really happened. But by the time our event happened, it was full on crypto hysteria 2017. And what was really crazy is that in every in-person event that we ever had, the two most popular panels of the event were the panels where the investors were on stage because everyone wanted, everyone wanted to meet the investors and see what they had to say. And the next one was the marketing people. And it was partly because everyone wanted to hear how to market their products and stuff like that, but also because those dudes, uh, men and women, were the people who were the best at marketing their panels. <laughs> and so the rooms are full. But 2017 was the first time the room was jam-packed for securities attorneys. And I have a picture of our expo floor where one of the TV stations who was doing, uh, doing live television on the expo floor was interviewing uh, Jor Law, uh, our other friend who's a securities attorney. And there was another securities attorney waiting behind the, the camera for his turn to be interviewed on TV. And it was probably the only time ever, the first time ever, you know, attorneys were being, uh, were being uh, you know, the most popular person in the room. And, and I don't mean to, uh, to talk trash, Mark, because I think you're, you're insanely interesting and I love you. But, you know, I think the crypto world has all of a sudden created this, this demand uh, for at least the people who know what the hell they're talking about, right? Um, and so we've got a couple of legal questions. Edge. I mean, lawyers being in high demand is like not to be celebrated, actually. It's like unfortunate that lawyers are in high demand because that means there's like something wrong because really lawyers should be able to like just help a little bit here and there and that's it. But, you know. That's not that's not what the world is right now. <laughs> how, how do you feel then about, you know, like automating processes and making it so I, I don't think it would get rid of lawyers, but it would get rid of some of the transactional things that lawyers have to help with on a regular basis, like things we talk about in the securities turn in the, I, excuse me, the digital securities, security token kind of world. Um, do you, are, are you a fan of that? Do you think it it, it will backfire? Uh how, how do you feel? I'm a massive fan of it. I mean, I just like being realistic about it, right? There's like, there's, there's this stuff, which is like, um, probably like, let's go like 80% of a contract. So it depends on the contract, but where it's literally, you know, if then this, that, right. And like that, that stuff should be automated. And it's that simple. It's the 20% that can never be automated because it's based on like, you know, stuff that's just not known to to anyone and maybe some of that with time could be you know if you like have an oracle that looks at whether some company is properly incorporated somewhere because the secretary of state says it is like sure you could bring that in on chain one day but like you know there's a bunch of that stuff that's not gonna yeah. happen but like in terms of like automating things like i think it's it's awesome i mean it's it's yeah it, <laughs> i mean everything that like can just get rid of like uncertainty time like cost constraints is better i mean if a lawyer can't like provide value on like the tough issues the the important stuff that requires like subjectivity and like decision making skills then they're frankly not all that useful all the rest should be automated frankly and it should happen sooner rather than later <laughs> yeah i mean I, I i i think you're right and i think that like it's what's what's tough and what's going to take time, of course, is all of these sort of digital, I say digital jurisdictions, but we all live somewhere in the real world, right? And so um, the cross border, all these things, which, you know, how many people do we meet that are American, but have their company incorporated in another country? It, where are they physically when they launch their token matters, you know, to, to law? Right. And all these things are just so weird and archaic, but like exist. And I mean, how many laws that are tied to, right? If you think of like when laws were written, like this is something people don't talk about a lot, right? It's like this idea that like when they were written, when you wanted to like enter into a transaction, who are you most likely to enter into a transaction with? It's the person like in the same city as you. And then it became like the person in the same state as you. And then the person in the same like, you know, country as you. And frankly, it's still 
the person in the same country as you that you're most like most likely to interact with and, and do business with for, for most businesses, just on average. And so most of the laws are written in a way that is very geographical in terms of like orientation, because, well, that's just that, that that's the impact most of the time. But, you know, in crypto, you know, when you can just go on chain and transact with anybody, you know, that th those laws just it's kind of like, OK, so you care if somebody's in the U.S., but like literally who cares if they're in the U.S. Because like there's no meaningful ties to the U.S. for purposes of like any risk perspective. But that's still what the law says. Um, so like that kind of stuff is just do you, it's do you see that? Do you see that changing? Like, you know, talk about super world as, as a step towards this. But can you see uh, me becoming a a virtual citizen of a digital jurisdiction that doesn't exist in the physical world. Uh, and, you know, I get my health insurance uh, through it and I get my, my, uh, my car insurance through it. And I, you know, um, get my universal basic income through it. Right. Or something, right. Like I get the, the, the things that a government might give you or is supposed to give you uh, depending on which way you look at it and feel do you see a world where that could potentially happen and then uh, and then it doesn't really matter? Uh, right. Or like, I'll, I'll be like leading to the whole different. I'll be very dead when that happens. Like <laughs> it's going to be in a really long time. So I can't be right or wrong about it. Um, but but I'll confidently say it's like not happening for the next like 200 years unless we get rid of all democracy and people just do things, which is not going to happen. Mean, isn't that the ultimate democracy? Uh, right. I mean, you can a group of people getting together and deciding, uh, you know, uh, what what is allowed and what is not allowed in their in their world. Um, and and how the government will step in and say that you are physically here. And so I'm going to stop it. <laughs> Unfortunately, <laughs> how high into the air do those rights that the government have have, you know, like when you go out to sea, like if you go out far enough, like what if, you know, I get one of those jet packs that uh, Boost invested in and I just go high enough to launch my token, you know, above land. Well, if you look, if you talk about property rights, it goes all the way up to the sky. So it really just depends. <laughs> all right. Well, there, there we go. Um, I've got, I think you opened up a little bit of a can of worms um, uh, when you mentioned earlier that, that governance holders could be litigated. So somebody asked a question on that. And, and, and we, we should be talking, you know, I feel like we, we could do more, more um, super world discussion too, but really quickly on, on this topic, because I think a lot of people in the chat also ask similar questions. Somebody asked who else other than governance token holders may face litigation when, when it comes to a DAO. Um, I mean, I think the company that launched it is like, everybody knows there's technically a risk there, but I, I think it's governance token holders that are really the, the ones that are at risk. I think small multi-sig, holders are maybe at risk when they're doing that outside of an entity. But like to clarify my comment earlier, I didn't actually mean like regulatory risk. Like I'm not like, sure there's regulatory risk. I'm, I'm worried about private litigation. One of the things that like mm. we haven't figured out with DAOs yet is will a court say that the DAO is a general partnership? There's this like basic concept in law that like when people come together to do business for profit, they by default form a partnership, like by default. And a partnership under like common law is a entity that, you know, fictionally exists where one partner can make all other partners liable for their actions. So one DAO, you know, one token holder acts in a certain way um, and there's a general partnership, then all token holders are liable for that one partner's actions. Literally, it's just a matter of time till some enterprising lawyer brings that claim and the smaller DAOs that have like a few token holders are going to be at like like sub 100 um, are going to be at like way bigger risk than those that have like hundreds of thousands. Um, but it's an issue that's like not been resolved at all. And whether they'd even say it's a partnership or not, hard to decide. But if they do and there's a lawsuit, well, everybody's liable for everybody else's actions. And that's going to get people to think twice about um, participation in governance. And the truth is, Everybody should be participating in governance by forming an LLC and holding their wallets in that LLC. And then you can sue me all day long and all you're suing is an LLC of mine. And that's fine.
That's an interesting. I mean, that's in itself a, a huge topic, like almost like how to protect yourself, you know, in the future if if shit goes down in this in this decentralized world. Um, I almost feel like uh, we need to. We might have to have a session just so I can fully understand and why that that even is uh, uh, makes makes sense. It's it's absolutely crazy. Now we've we've only got a couple minutes left. Actually, we're probably running into time, but I want to um, uh, to 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 hit super world one more time in that I, I think, you know, it's, it's super fun. Right. And on one hand, we're, we're sort of gamifying just owning a piece of land and it's scarce, uh, you know, somewhat scarce. There's 64 billion of them, but, but only one tied to each physical piece of land, right. Only one for the house I grew up in only one for, you know, the Matterhorn at Disneyland or something and just throwing, throwing something random out. Right. So, um, you know, how, how much is still left available and how much sort of action is there now in the, uh, in the secondary markets? And I guess one last sort of plug for what's next and, and what should we be preparing for since we have Matt on here for LA blockchain summit? Like what should we be doing on Superworld uh, NFT galleries, parties uh i don't know you, you gotta we gotta start planning it and we should plan it with the community listening because they'll probably give us some rad ideas too yeah so you know i in terms of the the world itself as you explained you know each each block covers about a city block of land we've seen a lot of activity um in places that you know everyone kind of knows and recognizes downtowns historical places you know, uh, famous kind of sports stadiums and things like that. Um, but as, you know, those places are, are being picked up, you know, our, our average paying user buys about 10 to 15 plots. And usually they all okay. have a certain theme. And so, you know, as, as those themes kind of get picked up, we're seeing, you know, secondary trading happening. And we've also added kind of features uh, more recently over the last couple of months that, enable you to start bidding on on properties that might not be up for sale so you can you know uh provide a a a bid on on a on a on a property um where the owner can then consider whether they would want to sell it to you we're going to be adding communication features to kind of facilitate that as well and then very soon as our nft marketplace launches and monetization will start occurring on those properties we're also going to see um, a, a boost in, in, in buyers being able to kind of better understand where they want to own. We're also working on things on the data side to be able to provide kind of heat maps and other kind of, uh, you know, uh, specific kind of data points to show uh, owners of land, you know, where they might want to buy their next properties based on activity and other things. Um, and then in terms of kind of use cases, um, you know, again, I, I think that the NFTs uh, in specific locations is a pretty good use case for LA Blockchain Week. So we could, you know, do some kind of um, galleries uh, in locations and, you know, allow people to go and click on their favorite NFTs and purchase them or to sell NFTs in locations. How, um, how drilled down to indoors can we get too? Because maybe we do sort of almost like refreshing based on the uh, agenda. Like I was in the room while Mark was on stage talking about this, right? Like the, like, because dude, okay, here's, here's where we have to connect. We, mm -hmm. it, it, it might be too out there, but when we have the last event we had in person, the, the professional photographer um, was used an app where anyone watching, and we send it to all of our media partners too, where her professional photos were going into this thing we had a private link for. And then we shared it with the community anyway, but it, it could have been, um, it, it, it could have uh, also been, been private, but like the professional photograph from the professional photographers were available to the media within minutes because they would just look at them and like one out of three of their pictures, they would just say, that's a good one. That's a good one. That's a good one. And it would automatically put their watermark or our watermark on it. And it was available to everyone. So people that were watching online or that were writing articles about it would get a professional photo of Mark up on stage and be like, Ooh, I'm putting that in the article about the thing I'm writing while I'm in the room typing. Right? Like there might be some way to like 
live during a session, grab the best one of those pictures, NFT it, and if you're in the room, you can redeem it if you have the Super Bowl app on, right? Like, maybe, I don't know. Might yeah, be. that's a cool idea. <laughs> yeah, we'd have to get a way to, to get it uploaded, which I don't know if it, that would be uh, too difficult. Uh, it'd just be augmented reality. But yeah, I think the minting um, aspect of that would probably have to be sorted um, but yeah, I think it's, it's definitely very possible, at least manually. I think we could, uh, to get like a manual, like minting and uploading process. Noted. Uh, um, yeah. here's, here's a really, really important, um, uh, uh, legal question. When would there, will there be digital liability insurance for when Alex's crypto kitty accidentally bites me when I'm visiting his land on Superworld? Um, <laughs> Um, Another DeFi use case. (laughs) Very edge case. Guys, uh, I want to thank you again for coming. I want to tell everyone who's watching, especially if you're not on uh, on our system right now, to go to meet.blockchainbooze.io. If you join us there, um, even after we're done with this, you can turn on your camera, turn on your microphone, and we can hang out at a table and, uh, and get to know each other and have a conversation. So, um, if you're watching anywhere, uh, please, uh, please, please come join us. Um, thank you, Rish, for joining us at three thank in the you. morning. Thank you, Mark, uh, for, for joining us. And, um, you know, Matt, thanks again for, for joining the team and, and being here. We're really excited to have you. Um, and uh, I'll see everyone uh, uh, at a table in a minute. Cheers, guys. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks, everyone. This has been a production of Industry Pods in association with Evergreen Podcasts Network. Hear this and other industry pods at evergreenpodcasts.com, your favorite podcast app, or listen at industrypods.com for your number one virtual conference podcast experience.